You're listening to How Real Estate Works, your one-stop shop for all things real estate. Whether you're looking to learn about real estate investing, buying your first house, growing as a real estate agent, and all things financial freedom related, we got you covered with co-hosts Jesse Johnson and Matt Talent. Welcome to the How Real Estate Works podcast, episode seven. I'm your host, Matt Town, and my co-host is Jesse Johnson. I'm really excited today because we have someone I've respected in the industry and listened to for years, read his books, um, and you can't be in real estate without hearing the name Jake and Gino. Gino Barbro is an investor, business owner, author, and entrepreneur. As an entrepreneur, he has grown a real estate portfolio to over 1,600 multifamily units with $100 million in assets under management, and he's teaching others how to do the same. Gino is the co-founder of Jake and Gino, a multifamily real estate education company that offers coaching and training in real estate. Founded upon a proprietary framework, you probably already know it, buy right, manage right, and finance right. He's the best-selling author of three books, Wheelbarrow Profits, The Honeybee, and Family Food and Friars. Gino also graduated from IPEC, Institute for Professional Excellence in Coaching, where he earned his designation as a certified personal coach. He currently currently resides in St. Augustine, Florida with his wife and six kids. Gino, welcome to the show. Matt and Jesse, thanks for having me on. Best part of my day, boys. Uh-huh. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Really excited. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing what Matt just said. There's uh, just so much uh, depth to, and we, I, we have a lot of questions for you today, but I mean, I just want to know, how did you get started in, in real estate? Well, for me, I was actually blessed. Uh, born into two parents. My mom and my dad were just both amazing immigrants. Uh, I was first generation. And I just got into it from working hard, right? The restaurant business is a tough business. But I was born into it and went to college, hated working in reinsurance accounting. It was like watching paint dry, guys. It was the worst thing ever. So dad had a restaurant, so I went to work with him. And then ultimately, at 24 years old, we bought a restaurant together, the whole family, and it was awesome. I loved it for the first 10, 15 years. 2006, 2007 hits, my dad passes away, and it feels oh. like I'm living someone else's dream, right? I loved working with him, but at the same time, it didn't feel right. And the Great Recession of 2008, or 2008 is very eerily similar to what's going on now. A big shift is occurring. People are reassessing their lives, and that's what I was doing back in 08. You know, I said, is this for me? And I had dabbled in real estate, made a couple of big mistakes. And I said to myself, I want passive income. You know, I have six kids. I need to feed my kids, right? Uh, everyone's yeah. telling me, oh, you've got a safe, secure job. You've got a great little restaurant. Well, fast forward to 2020. We just sold a business. New York is shut down. I can't do anything in the restaurant business. So I'm like, you know what? I made the right move. But that was what my foray into it was. I didn't want to go into single family homes. I wanted to build sort of a business. I wanted to build uh, passive income in the beginning. And I never knew ultimately that we'd actually end up building a huge business like this. So quick story um, for anybody out there, real estate, you, what the name of your podcast is, how does it work? It can work so many different ways for so many different people. You can start passively, start on an LP side, start in a syndication. You can start as a real estate broker. You can start as a developer, contractor, but ultimately we love multifamily. I mean, it is where people are going to be. It's a basic human need, everybody, food, clothing, and apartments. And I guess I lucked out because right now, 
that's where the demographics are. People are renting. They're not buying. So for us, it's just going forward, going to the future. We love the niche. We're going to still, still continue to invest in the niche. That's fantastic. I, uh, I love the transition from the restaurant industry. Actually, uh, in our real estate world, we love to hire people who have worked in the service industry, you know, especially the restaurant industry, because yes. they, uh, they know how to get it done. They know how to grind and uh, they know how to work. So, uh, but I'm interested in your, you know, just hearing about one of your earliest successes, you know, that story that you look back and said, oh man, this is, this is actually real. This is going to work for me. You know, let me get back to that restaurant uh, because it's yeah. very important. Life is all about working hard in the beginning. I think we all have to have a hard, you know, mindset on working hard. Then we need to start working smart. You have to couple those two, right? And then I think the Trinity is to work with, work with passion, right? So everybody out there, it's not a four-hour work week. And then, Jesse, to your point, when you become successful and you start like what you're doing, who wants to work four hours a week? I want to continue yeah. to do what I'm doing because I really like what I'm doing, right? So yeah. it's really one of those ironies in life where people who are poor, all they think about is money, right? And, and people who work their butts off, all they want to work, think about is working four hours a week. Once you really find your niche and find your sole purpose, who the hell cares how many hours a week you work? Because it doesn't feel like work, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. It, that, that's, that, that's the irony. And as far as people working in the restaurant industry, a little tip out there for anybody looking for property managers, go out and hire from the restaurant industry, from the service industry. We have some great property managers who work, who work at Roots Chris, these steakhouses, because they have great customer service. So they may not know the property management side of the business, but they have the customer service side. And any industry, whatever industry you're in, it's all about customer service. So that for us has been a, an amazing get for us. Hire the property managers. Out of Roots Chris, we've got a couple of rock stars. So, um, uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember what your question was. Yeah, so, so the question was, uh, well, first of all, that's a great piece of advice. Uh, in, in property management, people do have to be customer-oriented uh, and customer-service-oriented. But uh, the question was, tell me about a deal that, you know, the one that you remember that kind of made it real for you. Like, this is going to happen, one of the early deals for you. Well, I, I think everybody remembers their first deal. And for us, it was a little 25-unit property. Jake and I had been it took us 18 months to find the deal. Jake moves down to Knoxville in 2011. And, you know, as the New Yorker that I was, I had no idea where Knoxville, Tennessee was. Once you leave New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, tri-state area, New Yorkers, we don't know where the hell we're going. So he goes down <laughs> to Knoxville and, and he, I'm like, this looks good. We whip out the you know, computer looking on deals and loop net. The deals look really promising even back then. Mm -hmm. So that 25 unit property, the, the whole thing is to just commit and figure it out. That's what we ended up doing. We bought this 25 units. Looking back at it now, I probably wouldn't have done the deal now. It had weekly renters. It had a lot of CapEx, a lot of tenant issues, older buildings, but it was a great property. It had a lot of potential. We actually turned those into yearly rentals, into uh, the tenants. We made them into yearly renters. Uh, we got a lot of the expenses off it. We actually uh, re refied the property out, pulled out capital, and we still own it to this day, make about $5,000 a month in positive cash flow. And I think that first deal is just a proof of concept. And Jesse, it, the other thing is it leads to momentum. All of a sudden, you've done a deal. You have credibility. We were able to create a credibility book and a business plan. And three months after that first one, it's like, wow, we've got another deal on the table. And then six months after the second one, wow, we've got another deal on the table. So right. I think to me, that first deal is paramount. You don't have to hit a home run. You just have, you just have to have success. And you have to say to yourself, can I replicate this? And how do I replicate this? And it's proof of concept for yourself. And for everybody out there, don't go on Instagram 
Don't go on Facebook and don't listen to everybody doing deals at three, four, 500 units. That's not what you're there for. You're there to actually think big, start small. You don't have to envision a hundred unit property. A fourplex is great. Eight units is great. As long as the numbers make sense and as long as you can build upon that, that's all that matters. Yeah, Gino. And on that note, um, talking about getting started, it seems like for a lot of people, whether they haven't bought a house yet or they're in the single family rental game, um, multifamily just seems like it's such a high barrier to entry. So how do you suggest people get started in the multifamily game? Uh, Matt, that's a great question. Uh, for me, everything comes down to behaviors. Your behaviors are belief driven. And if you believe you can't get into multifamily, then guess what, Matt? You're not even going to call up a broker and call a broker. You're not even going to yeah. analyze a market and analyze a market. And you know, the quote from Mark Twain, I always forget this quote, but it's, it goes something like this. It ain't what you don't know that gets into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just yeah. so. So just, just think about that. So if you're out there saying, I know for sure that I can't get into multifamily, I know for sure that I need a lot of money, I know for sure that I need a lot of credibility, then I wouldn't be here with 1,600 units. Because for me, those were beliefs in the beginning. But then once I met Jake, and once we bought that first deal, and once we owner financed it, and then the second deal, we found a partner, those, those beliefs were just out the window. And all of a sudden, my behaviors absolutely changed. I got even more motivated. I got even more interested in it. And then I was all in with that. So for us, really, if you're starting out, you really need to have clarity. Why multifamily? Because there's a lot of great mm -hmm. niches out there. Maybe self-storage. Yeah maybe mobile home parks, uh, maybe single families, small single family rentals. Your market may be good at that. Just have clarity on why you're doing it. I know why I wanted to do it. I wanted to really start a little business to just make a few thousand bucks a month in passive income without having to flip a home because I already had the restaurant. I didn't have big enough dreams where I could say to myself, hey, I'm quitting this restaurant in three years. I'm going to go multifamily full time. When I first started, that wasn't my goal. My goal is just Let's start. Let's just start yeah. and see where this thing goes. I really didn't have the idea of what a refi and roll was. Refi my money out. I mean, four <laughs> years later, we've refied out nine million bucks in our portfolio. If you'd have told me that four years before when I started, I'd say you're out of your mind, right? So yeah. th th that's the growth that takes place. But the whole thing is you've got to work really hard to beginning, And then after that, as you start growing and as you start scaling and you see the possibility, that's when you start saying to yourself, how do I start implementing systems? How do I start really building a business from it? And it's hard in the beginning because you've got the I'm a mentality. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do okay. that. I'm a manage, I, and you have to in the beginning, at least in my perspective, because you need to learn all these skills, right? So when you, when you go out and delegate out, you at least know what you're doing, right? But in the beginning, it's just buying about, good about buying those quality deals and then let everything start, start taking care of itself. It will fall itself into place. And as an entrepreneur, the hardest thing I think is, wow, getting out there and making that first or second hire. Those are the scariest things, but those are great too. Those are the challenges because you've got to start letting go. And it was, uh, that was one of our biggest challenges, letting go and just hiring at the right time. Yeah. So I love that you, you brought up the I'm a mentality because I feel like I'm in that boat right now. I feel like if I have to, if there's painting to be done at the property or something mm -hmm. that I, I can, I need to do it. So mm -hmm. how do you kind of break free from that mentality and what happens when you, you start hiring stuff out and opening your time up more. Wow. So the first thing I would recommend everybody do out there, if they're starting to scale a business, try to get an executive assistant, try to help have somebody do those jobs that are 10, 15, 20 bucks an hour. If you're doing your own bookkeeping, shame on you because it was mm -hmm. shame on me too. That's stuff that you could sort of delegate out and you oversee. Cause that, it was like me in the, in the restaurant. 
washing dishes in the kitchen. That's 12, 15 buck an hour work. And it feels great, Matt. You feel great painting yeah. a wall because you're doing work, right? You're busy, busy, busy. And it seems like you're, you're getting a lot of stuff done. But at the end of the day, when you pull back and you look at it, all you did was paint the wall. You didn't work, you know, in, on the business. You're working yeah. in the business. So you need to work on the business and you need to calculate how much time you're actually doing. For $12 an hour work, I could have been doing Facebook ads. I could have been creating more menus. I could have been going out and soliciting other catering jobs. Instead, I was stuck in the kitchen doing that work. So for you, Matt, is it worth doing it? Or what can you be doing with that time? You got to be focused on tasks that generate revenue. That's what it is. And what's hard about the entrepreneur, especially in the real estate space, you may be taking an investor out to lunch. You may be taking mm -hmm. a potential buyer or seller to lunch. You're not going to see the revenue today. You're, it's going to take time. It's the long game. And that's the hardest thing about multifamily. It's not the dopamine hit where, hey, I get a deal. It's a transaction. Equity takes time to build. And for everybody out there, I'm living proof that it's possible because it took me a few years for the equity to build up. But once it starts building up, like I said, you get that snowball effect that snowball effect. So you're not painting that wall today, not painting it tomorrow, not painting it the next day, going out and doing other tasks that will generate revenue. You will see those, you'll see those rewards down the road. Yeah. I love that. And kind of on more of the note into the weeds of multifamily. Um, can you tell us more about buy right, manage right, finance right. And what that means to you guys? Sure. So for us, it's, you know, it's a three legged stool. Jake's outside one day cutting grass and he sees a wheelbarrow there. And he's like, wow, buy right, manage right, and finance right. The manage right is the wheel. That's in constant yeah. motion. You're always going to have to take care of the manage right. You could either do it yourself or you could hire third-party property management. When you're syndicating a deal, you're the asset manager. We're the property managers also, so we will we'll property manage and asset manage. The buy right is the back leg. The finance right is the other back leg of the wheelbarrow. You need all three of them to be sturdy. If not, one of them tips over. And what I mean by buy right, have criteria set up. What do you have in your market that you're buying from? What kind of cap rates are you looking for? When we started out, we were buying ACAPs back in 12, 13, right? That's where yeah. the market was. There was a lot more risk back in 2012 and 2013 in the economy. People have short memories. We had 1% yeah. GDP. We had no job growth. We had nothing. It was dead. It was stagnant. So there's a lot more risk. So rents were 350 bucks for one bedroom. So there was not much growth going on. Fast forward to today, rents in that same space are 650 to 700. So they've almost doubled. So cap rates are, have gone down because risk has, 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 actually, has, has actually gone down. So you have to really take a look at what your parameters are. You look at your cash on cash returns also. What are you looking for cash on cash returns? And your debt coverage ratios. So set up a criteria. And also for markets, what kind of markets you invested in. One thing yeah. that this pandemic has taught us, please go to markets that are more landlord friendly, right? That, at least that's mm -hmm. what we're looking at. Go to markets where the demographics are shifting. The demographics are actually coming down. People are migrating. So I would challenge everybody listening to this, go listen to Chris Porter's and read, read Chris Porter's book, uh, Big Shifts Ahead. We did a okay. podcast with him on our podcast. Great book. I mean, it's it a little technical. If you want to listen to the podcast on the Jake and Gino show, I would do that because he breaks it down in an hour and you guys will be advocates and like, wow, the Southeast is great. The Midwest yeah. is great. That's where people are moving to. So there's demographic shifts, the job shifts, job trends, and the population growth. That's what you really have to focus on. So buy right also comprises what market you're focusing on. Then the manage right, obviously we have our manage right uh, principles in there because we're vertically integrated. So we have a property management company. And real quick, the finance right, 
are you using community bank financing, which we love in the beginning, obviously, because mm -hmm. it's a lot easier to work with. Are you going to be going into agency financing? Are you doing some type of bridge financing? Are you doing master lease options, owner financing? Are you syndicating, raising private capital? All of that comprises the finance aspect of it. But you need to learn all three components before you actually go out and like, let's say start analyzing these deals. And we had done that intuitively on our first and second deal. We just said, you know, we need to put this framework together. So it's a lot easier for people to look at a deal holistically. And then when incorporating that encapsulating that whole, that whole process, we have the three pillars of real estate, which is the market cycle, the debt and the exit strategy. So when yeah. you look at the market cycle, know what part of the market cycle you're in where, and that will actually help you to do buy right. And, and I, you know, the exit strategy is second and the debt part of the, of the three pillars of real estate that also encapsulates the buy right portion. Know what your exit strategy is. Are you going to refi this deal? Are you going to sell it really quick? Are you going to hold it long term? And the debt component we just talked about. So when you look at the market cycle, everyone write that down, the three pillars. It's one market cycle, two debt, and three exit strategies. So focus mm -hmm. on all three of those as part of your buy criteria. And it's really important. And it'll give you, because everyone, Matt, tells you, hey, is this a good deal? Well, yeah. It, it depends. What's your strategy and what are you looking to achieve? So when you look at it from that lens, it'll give you a better perspective. It'll give you a more holistic approach on underwriting a deal. Cool. Okay. Yeah. So it seems that a lot of people have gotten into the, the multifamily space in the last five years. And you've, you've mentioned that cap rates are, are way down. And uh, um, are you shifting your strategy at all, given that uh, there's a lot more competition in that world? I think, Jesse, the only thing we're shifting is maybe buying assets that are a little bit newer, right? In this part of the market cycle, I don't want to buy an asset that's in the 50s or 60s built, cast iron plumbing, a lot of CapEx, because we're sort of at the high end of the market. If the market tends to take a little bit of a, of, a, of a fall, all of a sudden I bought an asset here and I have to put money into it. So it's almost like catching a falling knife. Now, yeah. the caveat to that is if you have long-term fixed rate financing, you can lock that debt in for a long time. And you know, Jesse, the only time you, you lose in real estate is when you have to sell. So if you can right. hold long-term, you can weather it out. But I think we love, we love it long-term. We're not worried as much about the cap rates. We're just looking at it for long-term. I think like I said, told you, the affordable housing space, they're not building enough apartments right now. And the ones that they're building are brand new. That B and C space, you know, there's a big demand in that. And as recession takes hold, even less people will qualify to buy a home. And people are out of work right now. They need a place to live. Renting is getting even more attractive to the millennials and to the baby boomers. Are you building that, uh, you know, B and C, those B and C properties? Are you, uh, are you buying them and, and, and fixing them up? What, what's your strategy there? Well, our strategy, we're buying. We I can't build. I wish I could build a B property for 85 or 90 a door. There's just no, it's just no way. I mean, if you're buying mm -hmm. the land cheap, land may cheap, be cheap now. But I think what's happened is, financing is so cheap when you're building right now that land has gone up so it's very hard we don't yeah. have a construction company so we don't have those economies of scale in building uh, if you can build that's awesome right now and i think you've seen a lot of assets come online especially in those markets where there is a job growth and the population growth because there's big demand there so for us we're just looking to buy and and we're doing the micro repositionings not those big heavy lifts where you come in rip out cabinets and countertops looking at the three to five thousand dollars per unit on average to fix where you could put in maybe some you know vinyl plank flooring resurface the countertops, paint the cabinets, and that, that's what we're looking at. Maybe for $50, $7,500 rent bumps. That's what we're looking to, to um, as our strategy. Okay. And um, where do you see, like, over the next 24 months, the multifamily market heading? We've kind of seen in our market some of, some of like, the financing tightening up a little bit. 
Um, so where do you see it going with the, the current economy? I wish I was that smart to answer the question. Um, I could, I could give you a big guess. I mean, you know, let's rewind three months ago and three months ago, multifamily was Armageddon. No one was yeah. paying rents. Right. So you fast forward, but nobody knew that cares act was going to come out and PP was going to come out and $1,200 stimulus checks. I think going forward, if I had to take an educated guess, I still think the valuation is going to be there. There's so much money being printed right now. That yeah. money needs to go somewhere. Right. And we, we live in a bubble. If you look overseas, if that money's going to continue to come into the U.S., where is money going to go? It's going to go to an asset class that's attractive. I want to buy something that's a hard asset. I don't want my money, I don't want my money in Tesla stock, which is, I don't know, 1000 bucks a share. It's worth yeah. more than the top six or seven car companies combined. That makes no sense to me, right? So that's, that's inflationary. I want something where I can buy a hard asset. And I think multifamily is great. And I think people have understood that. That's why cap rates have dropped. That's why competition is so fierce because they know that. And I just want to be in it long term. And if I can only do one deal a year or two deals a year, I'll be happy with that. But that's where I think we're going to stay. And I think the government knows, as you guys know, that real estate creates so many jobs. I mean, the tax yeah. benefits that real estate has are cost segregation. That's another reason why money has been flowing in there for the last, you know, three years at 2017 act where they made bonus depreciation year one that really, really helped uh, multifamily and real estate. So for me going forward, I love the space. I still think people are going to rent. So I'm, I'm, I'm bullish on it long-term. Yeah. And in addition to kind of what you were talking about with cost seg, um, what's been the biggest unexpected positive and negative of multifamily investing? A lot of people don't know about cost seg as a benefit when yeah, they're so, getting into it. So cost segregation, I mean, just, just everyone Google it. It's macro accelerated cost recovery system. You're pulling out components of the building, you know, actually land, buildings appreciate in value, but the government allows you to depreciate the asset over 27 and a half years. And if you do an engineered study, with a cost segregation specialist, you're able to put these, you're able to actually separate all the components of the building into five year, I think 10 year and 15 year buckets, where you're actually able to depreciate them a lot quicker. And then when you do that, what happens is the bonus depreciation allows you to depreciate it in year one, right? All that depreciation. So on an average building, let's say you pay a million dollars for a building and the land is $100,000. You can't depreciate land. So you take that $900,000 of the building value. On average, a cost segregation study will allow you to save about 20%. So you take 20% of that 900 grand. It's about $180,000 you're able to depreciate on year one on average. Wow. So that's pretty freaking amazing for a lot of people. Yeah. It's not what you make. It's what you keep, right? So that's the power, I think, of real estate. I mean, one of the... Another positive for me was actually to build a, build a business and to, you know, to really have complementary streams of revenue around this one asset type. You could do this in a lot of different uh, businesses and spaces. I did it with the restaurant business. Um, I had a little education business going on, a little physical products business going around, a catering business going around. Uh, you know, I had that in the restaurant. I just wasn't able to scale it. But with multifamily, we've done the education space. We've had a syndication company. We're doing mortgages for our students. We have uh, a property management company. We have a media company. So that's what's been really, really amazing for multifamily and all the different revenue generators, whether you have cable contracts, whether you have laundry services, whether you hopefully, I'm waiting for the first cell phone tower, no cell phone tower contracts, yeah. but I'm saying there's so many different ways to monetize multifamily and yeah. the, the ability to scale it up and to create a business from it has been really positive. The negative aspect of it, maintenance tax. 
Maintenance yeah. is a hard aspect of multifamily. It's one of those limiting beliefs, trying to get great maintenance techs on and trying to keep them long-term. We're just able to uh, send out health insurance in our company. We are allowed to launch it April 1st because nice. we know we need to start you know, creating benefits and start creating that culture in our company to maintain these workers on. Because right now, manufacturing came back, you know, over the last couple of years and you're competing sure. manufacturing jobs with maintenance tech. So that's one of the hard things in multifamily. And, and it all comes back to customer service. If you have great maintenance techs and great property managers, you're going to have a great business. So competing with those two and having those two parts of the business has been, it's been challenging over the last couple of years for us. Yeah, that's awesome. So uh, you mentioned all the additional uh, business lines that you have. And one of them is uh, the education and coaching um, I've, I'm a big proponent for coaching. I mean, when I got into real estate, I immediately hired a coach because I knew that I wanted to get to where they are as fast as possible and mm -hmm. definitely, uh, benefited from that. But there are some people who say, well, you know, why am I going to spend that money when I could just uh, read a book or, you know, you know, go to a dig meeting, you know, how, can you elaborate on maybe some of the benefits of, of coaching and education with you? Well, I think Jesse, the, the key is people like me and you and people listen to this podcast, don't use the word spend when we have an education. We're investing in ourselves. That's the difference, right? Yeah. Everyone, everyone else out there looks at it as an expense, like an expense is gone. You're investing in yourself. That's the important part, and you will always have it. And I'm a proponent of what I sell because I've, I've been through it. I became a certified life coach. I spent thousands of dollars on my education. And to create all these different businesses, it doesn't happen overnight. You learn. And like you said, why not hire people who've done it and shown you how to do it? We spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in the last 24 months, whether it's a, with a scaling up coach, whether it's with, with you know, speaking coaching, whether it's actually uh, uh, EOS and traction. We've never done that stuff. So why go through the pain and not have people help you out and invest in those businesses? And you will get your money back a lot quicker. You'll make lesser mistakes. Your learning curve will be cut dramatically. And when you have problems or questions, you have somebody to go to instead of going yeah. to a YouTube video and spending 30 minutes to find something that you don't know if it's the truth or not the truth. That's the problem yeah. with, right. with finding a coach or a mentor. They've been through it. You want to, you want to go through their success and what they've gone through. You have the proof is in the pudding. You can use their systems that they have. So for me, I'm a huge proponent of it. Yeah. That. Yeah. Coaching, uh, coaching is a big deal. And you know, I, I have a team of, uh, we have 30 on the team and, it's, wow. uh, it, I spend a lot of time coaching and I, I take a lot of value out of that. I mean, Matt and I have coached mm -hmm. together. Um, yeah. and I, you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's definitely something that as a person, I, I love it. And I, I love, and I love that I was in it. And I love the fact that, that I'm able to deliver that to other people. Um, so, and this is a big topic for me when I, when I meet with my agents, when they start with me, I, I'm always trying to get them started on the right foot, like work hard, but learn, you know, to have boundaries and set, you know, do things right. So you can have a family and you can have a life. Uh, now you got a lot going on in your life. You have uh, the coaching, you have the, you know, the businesses and you have six kids. So, I mean, how do you find, how do you find time for all of that? How do you make balance? So for me, I always worked hard, you know, the restaurant, I was working on the weekends, I was working during the holidays. So I've actually been able to incorporate or incorporate the family into the real estate, right? So my wife and I do a podcast weekly. I love doing the podcast with her. So I'm able to share that with her. Uh, she has some coaching students from the Jake and Gino community that I, I love, you know, having her coach them because it's a lot of mindset, right? We all know the mechanical, we can all calculate a cap rate, we can all analyze a deal. But then when it comes to spousal communication, or when it comes to 
getting over the fear of picking up the phone, calling the broker. We all need work on that. So I love that aspect. The kids are here this week with me down up in, up in Tennessee. We spend all that time together. And for me, my mind never shuts off, but when I'm with the kids, I'm with the kids. When I'm at work, I'm at work and, and I enjoy both aspects of it. And, uh, it's a tough question. I mean, I have the weekends off. We do a lot of like this, this Saturday, we have an event. I'm going to have the kids come with me to the event. So it's really incorporated. We have a live event going on. They'll all be at the live event selling swag. So for nice. me, just, just, uh, we homeschool the kids too. So they're home all the time. So I'm around them a lot. They're around me and it's just part of my life. My business has been part of my life my whole life. So it's just, they're just part of me. Yeah. So, um, so you were coaching a lot of people in the last, uh, you know, six months. And what was your message to them? You know, when things, when things were looking really, really rough, uh, what, what were, what were you, how were you coaching them through that? Jesse, that's a great question. So for me, when this all hit, all of a sudden, everyone has the fear and everyone doesn't know how to react. They overreact. And for me, you know, Og Mandino's book, The Greatest Salesman, right? It's all about handling your emotions. And if you have lower emotions, lower emotions, you have lower intelligence. When you fear something, there's nothing wrong with fear. Just take a step back and assess the situation and look at the problems, but look at the opportunities. Everyone's freaking out. You saw people laying people off and yeah. furloughing and we didn't know what was going on. It just hit, right? So my, my big takeaway is let's just assess what's going on. Let's use our analytical mind. Let's use our emotional mind. And let's use our logical mind. Let's use all three of them to assess the situation and see what comes out. And for us, it was a blessing in disguise in certain areas because we had just launched healthcare. All of a sudden, another big expense. We couldn't show apartment units. So what do we do? We shot off virtual leasing. Virtual leasing came live in 30 days. So all of a sudden, we had no problem. We couldn't show units to, oh, wow, we've got a virtual leasing going on right now. So right. for us, it was a, that was the amazing aspect. But for everybody out there, just use your thinking hats. Don't go crazy. And all of a sudden, you become a victim or you have anger. You can't come up with solutions. That's why coaching is important. Raise your level of energy. After this call, I'm juiced up. I'm going back to work. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm energized. Too. I'm yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited, right? That's what coaching is all about. Raise your level of energy. Ask Jesse and Matt the right questions because you know you know the answers to your questions, right? I can't yeah. tell you the answers to your questions. You know it, but you may be too afraid or you may be too scared to actually think clearly and actually say those, and then all of a sudden hold you accountable. So if you say you're going to do this, okay, in two weeks we're getting on Jesse. Did you do the work? And I guarantee you you're going to do the work because you're not going to let me down. You're going to want to, you're going to not, you're going to let yourself down more than you're going to let me down. So if we're getting out in two weeks, you have a roadmap, you have a plan. So that, that's what the whole idea is. Raise your level of energy, see the opportunities, see the possibilities and get to work. And that's what we've done the last three months. We have an amazing team. I've been actually fortunate with the people that I've surrounded myself with. I don't know how it happened to be honest with you, the luck, a little bit of hard work, but actually getting the roadmap and not showing that fear, but saying, Hey, there's a lot of problems, not sure good coding it, but there's a lot of opportunity here too. And when we come out of this, we're going to learn a lot and we're going to be stronger. We're going to be leaner. And we're going to be meaner. Love I love it. that. And, uh, I know that. So transitioning a little bit, I know that your company, the name is Rand Properties LLC, and it derives mm -hmm. from Ayn Rand with mm -hmm. Atlas Shrug. I know that over the years, uh, Jake's given you a lot of crap for not reading Atlas Shrug. <laughs> so, do you ever uh, end up reading the whole book? You know, Matt, I read half the book, and about six months ago or eight months ago, I said, I got to stop reading it. I'm living it. So, what the hell do I got to read the book yeah. for? It's happening yeah. around me all the time. And right? it's frustrating because uh, – 
being wealthy and creating value and money is, is being demonized when really all the three of us are trying to do is we're trying to create value, right? I'm not focused on money anymore like I used to when I didn't have it. I'm focused on trying to get as many of my students to close deals. that have closed over 7,000 units. I'm trying to get my students to quit their jobs and do real estate full-time. There's about 30 of our students who have done that so far. That's my focus. And the more of them that do that, the more money we're going to make. But I don't get up in the morning and say, how much money am I going to make today? I get up in the yeah. morning saying, you know, profit's the fuel. It's not the destination. That's why that book really frustrates me because I'm like, holy crap, we're living this, in this divisive world where it's either the haves or the have-nots. We can all have. We just, have, we just have to be able to raise the have-nots and show them that there's a way to have. Yeah, I love that. I got like 450 pages in i put it down <laughs> never picked it back up but same with me yeah it's crazy how similar it is today yes um, it is and so with all that you do do you have like a good morning routine that gets your mindset going every day well i i used to be really really diligent for me now i get up around seven o'clock in the morning think about what i'm grateful for jump in the shower usually go for a walk before we have our 8.45. I uh, spend about a half an hour in between with the kids and my wife. 8.45, we have our morning huddles with the team and then off to work. And then 9 to – I try to get some training in the morning, whether it's sales training, whether it's personal development training in the morning because I have more energy. I used to be a night guy working at the restaurant. i come home 8 o'clock at night and do work. Sure. Can't, do, can't do that anymore. And for me, just try to do some work in the morning. And by the end of the day, we have end-of-day huddles with the team, all about the wins because – Another thing the pandemic has taught me, just because you're doing great doesn't mean everyone else is doing great. You need to sure. over-freaking communicate. And I'm not an over-communicator. The wall is there. I run through it. I mean, I'm sure you two guys are the same way. I'm sure everyone listening to this podcast is the same way. But a lot of people aren't. And you need to be sensitive about how other people are feeling. So you need to really over-communicate and see what's going on with them. So at the end of the day, we get on a huddle at 450 to find out what all the wins are for the property managers. Because everybody, property managers is a tough job out there. It's almost like the, being Con Edison or electric company. When the, when the power's on, nobody says thanks. But when the power goes off, <laughs> where'd my power yeah. go? And it's the same thing with property managers. You can be living in an apartment for six months, six months, one day. Water heater goes out, all of a sudden the property management company is a devil if they don't get there in the next 24 hours. So it's, it's a thankless job. It can be a tough job. So, you know, listening to them and, you know, you know, hearing their struggles and hearing their wins and you know, letting them know that we're there, it's really important. So for me throughout the day, personal development, coaching calls, uh, working on the business, it's, it's, so, it's been so much fun for the last two months. I mean, I thought we'd be slower. For us, it's been just so many more different projects going on and we haven't, we haven't skipped a beat. Yeah, same here. You must, uh, you must go nonstop. I mean, it's it just amazing to me. Uh, I mean, you had time to write the book, The Honeybee. What, why was that important to you? For us, I really, yeah. For us, I love The Richest Man in Babylon. I love uh, Og Mandino's book. I love parables. And I know that we learn by stories. So I said, Jake, we've got to write, you know, Will of Our Prophets book. It's a good book. It's all nuts and bolts. But let's write a story where people can relate. They can pick this up. They're, they've, they're struggling. They've got 15 units. They're a mom and pop. Sometimes it's not how can you do something. It's who can help you. And that's mm -hmm. in the book, right? Sometimes it's not only about making money and growing those rivers or streams. It's, you know, the charity aspect of it. How can I give back? So for us, that's what it was all about. It was all about, let's figure out how to teach people to create complementary streams of revenue. If you guys have a real estate company, don't go out and buy a car wash unless you own the real estate, right? They, they didn't even mm -hmm. be complimentary, right? So for us, it was all about that. It was all about showing people that you can create a business. You can create systems. 
you can do it out there. You just need to know how to start. And I think the story does a great job of showing a person who's the W-2 being mentored by somebody who did it before and getting these little, I guess, words of wisdom and these little stories and ultimately culminating by putting these stories together and just going out there and taking action. Yeah, no, I love the book. Um, I think I read it in like a couple of days, super easy read. And mm -hmm. I've been telling all my friends, like start now in your twenties, read this book yes. and it'll set you on the right path for the rest mm -hmm. of your life. Yep. Um, so we asked one, we asked one, uh, we asked our guests one question. Um, what was your biggest limiting belief when you got started and how did you overcome it? So for me, the biggest limiting belief was all about money. Like, where am I going to get money for my next deal? Like, I couldn't visualize it. Like, everyone thinks that, that life is linear. But when you have success, all of a sudden, you start attracting money. You start attracting opportunities, right? And you start educating yourself more. Back in 13, 14 syndication was not the catch word, right? It, it just wasn't, yeah. right? Refi and roll, nobody was talking about refinancing your properties and rolling to the next deal. So for yeah. us, I was able to, you know, get a partner from the restaurant business when I was there. One of, one, one of he was a key, he'd, he'd come in every week, take out food, right? So I'm sitting in the front one day, I have my chef coat on, I got some pizza sauce on there. He comes in, he sits down, he works for Louis Dreyfus, he's the CEO now of Louis Dreyfus, you know, he's a hedge fund. And we just start talking and I start talking about China and I start talking about gold and oil and you never know when the opportunity presents itself. So he looks at me and he was befuddled. He's like, how do you know all this stuff? So I'm like, I just like to read. I, I'm just into investing. And I said, yeah. by the way, I'm investing in the Southeast. I'm buying apartments. He was buying single family homes up in the New York you know, area for $2 million with no mortgage and renting them out. So that's what he knew. Right? So when he found the real estate, the multifamily model, he's like, I'm in. Let's try. Let's dip our feet. So on that second deal, he was a partner with us. He partnered up. He saw the model. And me being my you know newbie self, I'm talking about rubs and I'm talking about all these different stuff. And yeah. he's like, what, what the hell are you talking about? I'm like, okay, let me slow down. This is how we add value. This is how we increase the net operating income. And obviously he got it in 30 seconds. But to him, that was my, my limiting belief was how do I get to the next deal? Don't worry about the next deal. Worry about doing the first deal. Worry about doing it well. Worry about learning the business, and then everything else will take care of itself. It's amazing how those people just show up. Um, it is. Uh, isn't it? I was I was at uh, having coffee the other day, and one of the guys, uh, this guy that I knew, showed up, and his daughter said to me, whispered in his ear, "Hey, hey, Dad, tell Jesse the magic is real." And I was like, "What? That's crazy." <laughs> I was like, "I believe that." I believe the magic is real because so, uh, it's amazing how, how when you're in the right place and you've done the, done the work, the people show up and they're just there. Yes. Um, it's pretty, yes. pretty spectacular. I'm glad you said that. It does take work. I, I had actually educated myself. I knew a little bit about geopolitics. I knew a little about gold. I knew what was going on in the oil market. So I understood the basics about investing. And I think that threw him off for a loop. But everybody out there, you need to get educated. You need to actually take those steps to get educated, then it's education times that action, which will ultimately equal your results. But you were ready, right? Yes. Like if that, that, yes. Yeah, you were ready for it to happen. And, it, and, and that's, that's the yes. magic moment. It's, it really, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it takes a bit of preparation for, for that to happen. And that's, yeah. why the, that's why the richest man in Babylon is a great story. Because yeah. Arkad, was he lucky? Everyone thinks he's lucky. No, he lost his money to a shield bearer. He lost his money. He took his lumps. He worked his butt off. And then all right. of a sudden... The opportunity was presented himself and he was ready. That's the beauty yeah. of that story. It's awesome. So, so Gino, uh, I have uh, one more, one more selfish question here. So 
I've done cold calling for multifamily before. Um, and I've been able to like turn a couple financials out from people. But whenever we analyze the deal, they'll either be at like 3 million and we need to get the property at like 1.5 and we find that their expenses are super off. Um, so how do you have that conversation from getting them from 3 million to where you need to be at? So that's a great question. What I would do, another podcast recommendation that we've done, we've done two podcasts with Chris Voss. Never split the difference. Everybody needs to read that book because yeah. really – What's it going to take for us to get this deal done? I'd love to share with you, Matt, my underwriting. You're at 3 million. Our underwriting says 1.5. Let me tell you why our underwriting is at 1.5. And actually, I brought this to my community banker who's actually also done the underwriting. So we're really way off, but I'll show you why we're way off. You're A, going to get the, the, the seller to give you the middle finger and say, I don't care. Or B, you're going to have an intelligent conversation where I may be 3 million, maybe too much. I need to get down. The, the key is, they need to be motivated. If they're not a motivated seller, it doesn't matter what, what, you know, what you're going to tell them. They're not even going to respond. So the first yeah. thing is gauge your motivation. Ask, why are you selling? Or why would you want to sell? Or what are you going to do with this money? Some people may need to sell to do a 1031. Some people may need to sell because they're burned out. Some people may need to sell because they hate multifamily. Some people may need to sell because they got another opportunity going on. So figure out that motivation. And if there is motivation, that's the next step. Use the spy technique. It's, you know, the spy technique, we call it the SPY. It's the seller, the property, and then you. What can you do for the seller? What is his motivation? How are you going to solve his problem? We always do the opposite. What's in it for me? What's the cheapest price I can get it for? Sometimes you may get a cheaper price, but maybe you can say, Matt, hey, Mr. Mr. Seller, I've been in this for a while. I will guarantee you I will do what I say and say what I do. I will close in 60 days. I can show you proof of funds. I'm a closer. That may be, oh, wow, this guy's gotten burned a couple times. He likes to hear that. So find out what the seller, his motivation is and how you can solve their problem. Then the next thing is obviously, let's look at the property. Is it fit your criteria? Do you like the build? Do you like the asset? Do you like the unit mix? Do you like the expenses in the property? And then ultimately, what can you do? What are you going to gain from this? So if you look at it from that perspective, from that lens, I think it'll help out. And the thing with cold calling on these larger multifamily assets, sometimes it's a little bit more difficult because they're a lot savvier. The smaller mom and pops, 10, 20, 30 units, that'll work better. But like at the same time, you have to just be really careful because you need to have a seller who's motivated or else it's going to be harder to, you know, to try to try to negotiate with them. Yeah, no, I love that. Go and start, start getting back to cold calling. Mm-hmm. Use the spy technique. I love that. Yeah. Um, so this is the, the part of the program where you, where you get to turn, the, turn it around on us and ask us one question and Matt, Matt will answer first. But uh, yeah, what question do you have for us today? Dude, only one question? I got like five get, or six questions over here. You get, you get my, my, sheet away, said, my sheet says you get one question. <laughs> well, um, so how does real estate work for you? For me, I think I... I kind of start out the same as you. I had my own company. It was a landscaping company. Um, and it's really, I, I was doing like 16 hour days, the same as you. And I wanted to get into real estate investing. Um, so I bought my first single family property, house hacked it, moved into my second. And now just, I'm trying to scale up. Um, but I think for normal people, it's the, mo- the most accessible way to grow your net worth. Mm-hmm. And it's the most scalable way to do it instead of starting some tech company or something like that. I think it's really something that anyone can achieve and kind of grab a hold of. 
So Matt, if I'm hearing you correctly, the real estate works for you in the sense that you want to build a business, you want to build a lifestyle, you want to be able to grow your wealth, maybe generational, and you want to create passive income? Yeah. So eventually, like I'll have a family one day. One of my rental properties can be for one of my kids to save up for college. Another one can be to pay my mortgage. Another one can be from retirement. And at the end, like I'll keep all those homes. I'll never sell any of them. And they'll fund my retirement plan. So there's just so many ways that you can do it and spin it. Um, but there's just endless opportunities there. That's awesome. So everyone out there, Matt just dropped a nugget. Do not save for an event. Buy an asset for an event because when the event is over, you still have the asset that's producing cash flow or appreciating. That is the golden nugget of the show right there. And yeah. it's your nugget, bro. Thank you. I didn't, I didn't even get to go yet. I, I don't know how to say that. <laughs> Sorry about that. I mean, yeah. <laughs> All right. Let's just end it here. <laughs> I'll, I'll, t I'll tone mine down, Matt. I'll tone my, my brilliant. I'll turn it down a little bit. But yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Matt is, uh, so one thing that's great about this show uh, is that Matt, I, I tell everyone, Matt, Matt is doing it right. If you want a model to follow, you know, Matt is, has done a lot of things the right way. And uh, so, uh, but I'm going to give you my answer. So my answer is very different. I, I, I got into real estate on the finance and sales side of things, and I've become really good at building teams. So I've used mm -hmm. real estate to grow businesses and grow teams. Now that's given me the opportunity to learn from the right people and uh, has given me the opportunity to uh, align myself with people that I can learn things that I didn't learn when I was Matt's age. Uh, so right now, you know, I'm probably, you know, 15 years older than Matt. Uh, I have the opportunity to kind of start today on some of the things that he's starting in his 20s. But, you know, having the confidence that I'm learning from people who, like yourself, who, you know, I just didn't have back then. And, um, but that was brought to, my, brought to me because I built, I was good at building teams and keeping running businesses. So, so that's so how Jesse, real estate works for me. I love that answer because for you, that real estate works for you that way. And for everyone listening, real estate work for any way you want it to, right? That's the beauty of it. If you want to invest in multifamily, you invest on the passive side if you want to start. You don't have to go on the active side. So don't have those limiting beliefs. Get out there, get educated, open your mind up, start listening to other shows, other podcasts, start reading other books. And it's amazing because real estate can work for you in so many different fashions. Matt, we're going to have to make a list of all the books that were mentioned in this call. There was like so many books. Yeah. I, yeah. I read a lot. Yeah. I, when you're not a smart person, you got to read. You got to supplement it with putting stuff <laughs> yeah, in yeah. So, uh, all that Yeah. <laughs> we, we got them all fooled on this show, though. We're the <laughs> yeah. smartest people in the world. <laughs> That's why they're no, tuning man. in. I love it. I'm fired up. Gonna start doing the cold calling again and start reading a lot more books about multifamily. So I've learned a ton today. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on the show. Jesse, Matt, have a great day. Take care, everybody. Hey, Thanks. Too, man. Thank you, Gina. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can join us weekly on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. Please subscribe and leave a rating or review. It really helps us out. You can find out more about me at callphillyhome.com, callphillyhome at Instagram, or email me at matt.talent at compass.com. And you can find out more about my co-host, Jesse Johnson, at howrealestate.com, Jesse Johnson on Instagram, and email him at jesse.johnson at compass.com.